Good morning, diners and travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. And in today's program, we're going to be hovering around Italy, uh, which I love to you do. Never, yeah, you never do that. Do you? No, I love Italy. Uh, our first interview is actually with the editor-in-chief of, of the book, and it's Stacy Atamondo. The book is called Piatti, and what it does is what Italians like to do, it has dishes for sharing. Uh, there's nothing that Italians like better than getting a group around the table and eating. And so uh, she compiled this, this book of, of recipes for dishes just like that. And, and she's, she's got a lot of practice. She has. Because she's, she's the editor-in-chief, is it, of Severe magazine? Yes. I think it gives you an idea that she knows what she's doing. So here she is. Well, we were going to start off by congratulating Stacy Adimondo um, about her newly released book, Piatti. And we thought that there's another reason uh, she has just been made editor-in-chief of Severe Magazine, and congratulations on that. That's a great move. Thank you so much. Yes. And um, you have had so much experience, Stacey. Um, you've done food writing and travel writing. I mean, you've done this for your whole life, haven't you? My whole career, yes. And also, I just had so much exposure to great Italian food growing up, Italian-American food. So, so it's been a passion of mine for a long time. Well, you, you've got some great uh, accolades on the book. I mean, you start out with Lydia Bastianich, <laughs> then uh, Andrew Carmelini, <laughs> and, and then even Katie Parla, who just we just interviewed her about her new book on Southern Italy. Oh, how lovely! Yes, Katie's a good friend. Yeah, she is South was, Italy. It's was, it, was Elizabeth Minkeley in there too? We, we, yeah, we, we, had, we just we, in fact her interview hasn't even aired yet. No. But she did. Oh, how great! Yeah, I look forward to hearing those all. We might, we might put you together. You never can tell. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> so, um, yeah, with the piatti, of course, means plates in Italian. Does it um, mean plates or does it mean little plates? Well, it's, it's little. Actually, is it, is it little plates? Piatto I thought it was, is a plate. Okay, all right. Yeah, right. and actually, I mean, the word, I think, is used, um, you know, sometimes it's used in the context of something like primi piatti, you know. Um, right. They use it to sort of talk about that first course at times. But in general, it does sort of just broadly mean plates. Um, and in the context of this book, the plates that we feature, you know, can be thought of as appetizers and starters to graze on. But I also like to carry them through the meal and just have them be dinner. Um, essentially, I think they're so abundant and generous in their portions that they can really kind of carry you through. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, and, and I think that the thing that stands out in this book is that you are conveying a, that spirit, that Italian spirit of gathering around and eating together with friends and family and the celebratory nature of just being human together. Yes, I'm so glad that came through. That's what I was going for. No, we, good. Yeah, we, we, we were saying before we came on the air that we, we were astounded when we went to Puglia and we went to restaurants. The, the restaurants all produced like 12 or 14 antipasti before, before you even got down to real food. Now, now, is that something people do in their homes as well? So I, I do think that antipasti um, translates to both the restaurant cooking and to home cooking. I think you'll probably see a more really over-the-top abundant spread at restaurants. But one time, you know, I had gone to visit my um, distant relatives in Calabria in Italy. And, you know, my, my book sort of first starts out on this story. Um, you know, a couple of my relatives said, we'd like to make you a little lunch. And they <laughs> provided story. all of this food. And, you know, I'm, I'm eating till I couldn't possibly eat another bite, thinking that that was the meal, <laughs> the lunch that they were going to make. And it turns out that was just the antipasti, um, trays <laughs> upon trays of food. So I do think it's something that's, you know, done in the home as well, but you'll certainly see it in restaurants. Well, I like, I like what you said in the paragraph before that. You said you were so disappointed when you arrived 
for lunch, and they said, well, we're going out to lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the night before, they had taken me out to a local restaurant in Reggio, which was lovely, but I had just had this nostalgic image, I think, of Italians only, you know, cooking these very over-the-top meals at home, and so I was really looking forward to the home cooking. And so I had written my mother an email. It's funny, I still have it, and it says, you know, I guess I... I sort of hoped that they would cook at home, but that's okay, you know. Maybe they just don't do that as much as I had in my mind. And then the next day, they came out with this incredible, incredible home-cooked meal. And I thought, okay, all of my dreams have come true. <laughs> now, the, the, first, the first time I went to Sicily with Anne, she'd been several times before, we actually, dro- we actually drove all the way from Rome through Naples, all the way down through uh, Calabria, and then we crossed into uh, Sicily on the ferry. So oh, yeah. We put a, isn't that an amazing ride? It's, yeah. it's so short, and you're going between these two gorgeous places. That's one of my favorite paths to travel. Yes. I love it. Yeah, I, th- I think we bought a sandwich and ate it sitting on the deck of the, <laughs> of the, of the ferry boat. Yes, that's the good life. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, these jars are really colorful and beautiful. Um, you, what I was reading, uh, you make a distinction uh, on pickles between the the kind of pickle that you could do where it keeps in the refrigerator uh, for a while, or the kind that that you uh, sterilize and can. That's Correct. an important distinction. Do you want to address yeah. that? Well, I don't know if you're like me, but when I have a good pickle in my refrigerator, I eat it so quickly. I can't help myself but digging in. And once I have all of these beautiful, colorful jars, I start to, you know, chip away at them little by little and put, you know, some pickles on top of finished dishes or serve them on the side of dishes or as part of an antipasti. So pickles don't last long in my house. But, uh, you know, I, I created the recipes in the book with the thought that, You'll be so excited to eat them. Um, you most likely won't be preserving them through the canning method. Um, you know, that's not how I do it at home. However, I'm sure that there are, you know, people out there who love to can for long term like that. Oh, yeah, and I know lots of people. Process. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm always so overwhelmed when I see the shelves after shelf after shelf of all these canned <laughs> produce. You know, <laughs> I, oh yeah, it's so impressive. Those are the people who also make um, capture wild yeast for bread <laughs> Oh yeah, very very hardcore. Yeah, no, I I more take you know if I have a little uh, fun trip to the farmers market and have a couple extra pieces of produce or an extra pint of something, you know, that's when I do a little bit of pickling and and I tend to go through it sooner than later. So most of the recipes in the book are made for. That type of person who likes to preserve things for a couple of weeks or months, but not necessarily for a few years. Yeah. Now, you've organized this book according to the seasons, which, you know, a lot of people do nowadays since we're so oriented to that. But uh, tell us a little bit about your introduction, which is Inspiratione. Yes, well, basically, you know, I come from, as I said, Italian-American heritage. So my great-grandparents came over from Italy. Um, You know, this was back in the early 1900s. My father actually grew up on Mulberry Street, which is the heart of New York City's Little Italy. Um, So they really had Italian culture very deeply ingrained in their lives growing up. And, you know, as the generations pass, I just worry that if we don't continue that legacy and that those traditions, you know, someday they could potentially be lost to the generations that follow us. So, you know, to me, it's very important to um, preserve and cherish uh, the, the family Italian-American and Italian recipes that we love and then also part of that culture. And I think in Italy, antipasti is so ubiquitous and it's, almost taken for granted, right? It's part of a meal. It's part of going out to a meal with your family and friends. But in in the States, you know, we're so creative about what we serve for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We're just not that creative with what we put out when guests come over, right? No, like often you'll see, the, yeah, you'll see the same couple of things. You'll see chips and dip or maybe olives or meat and cheese. That's kind of as far as most people go. And I thought, wow, you know, there's sort of this, 
um, gorgeous art of antipasti that's being left under-recognized in American culture, and I really wanted to share what I love about Italian antipasti culture with my fellow Americans. Well, well, you, well, you certainly did a super job. Yeah, that's now, for I, sure. Thank I did you very an, much. I did have an interesting question. Why, why is the Inspirazione pages, why are they yellow? <laughs> what? <laughs> well, they could have been any are, color. Are, they, are the they yellow? Side, well, they are, that? but all the, the upfront stuff's yellow. Also, yeah, the we guidelines. Thought, you know, and it's just, we liked that it sort of felt a little bit like um, that color of some old text might be, you know, um, okay. it's got sort of a historic feeling to it. Um, but it also, it's nice and bright and, and different and stands out a little oh, bit. Oh, it, um, it certainly does that. But yeah. You know, I, we, Peter pointed out to me that there is a, a reason for this, um, the, the way this cover is made, where it's free from the spine. Yeah, so it's got a cover that's designed to lay flat on the kitchen counter while you're cooking from it. Yeah, well, so, he told you know, me that. Yeah, I think yeah, that's, you, I you think that's very recipe. I think that's very sensible. See, oh, thank you. Yeah, well, I always prop mine up so it doesn't work if you prop up the book. <laughs> but, uh, right. Well, otherwise, you have to, otherwise you have to put a brick on it. Hold it down in order to keep it open, right? And then you can't make brick chicken. Well, you know, you're you're. Um, these are not like traditional, traditional, stodgy, traditional recipes. Um, you you move around a little bit with them and add your own touches, but all Italian-Americans did that, huh? Yeah, and, you know, I think it's something that was sort of controversial or almost shameful for a little while, like even with my own relatives, you know, if I changed my grandmother's recipe, I would feel funny telling her about it. Um, I think it would seem like, like sacrilege almost to some of them. But at the same time, I think that evolving recipes ever so slightly can be a way of making sure that they last another hundred years or another few generations. Um, you know, if we've found a way to make things brighter and more colorful and more flavorful and, and or make the techniques easier on, on the cooks um, and still have similar results, I think no, I'm trying not to shy away from that and trying to embrace that a little bit. I think it will bring Italian food into more people's kitchens at the end of the day. Yeah, well, um, we, I think that Italian food is, well, French food first, and now Italian um, is making a comeback. Um, and one of the, so we've been getting a lot of Italian books, cookbooks, and one of the things that I noticed, well, there are two things I noticed. One, there seems to be some major uh, restoration of uh, radishes in all guises, including not just pickles or raw, but also cooked, and, and also carrots. Can you comment on those? Yeah, it's funny that you say that. I have a recipe in the book. Um, it's for a really simple dish of braised Swiss chard with some black-eyed peas. So those sort of were very popular in southern Italy um, and still are. Um, they sort of were thought to come over from northern Africa probably. But, um, you know, my grandfather made this very simple dish, had a little bit of onion in it and usually water, not even broth. Um, but I thought, well, you know, at the end of it, it could use a little crunch, you know. You sort of wilt down the greens and the beans are very tender. And I just love the idea of something fresh and crunchy at the top. So I add a few chopped radishes to the pan at the last minute and they just get ever so slightly cooked to the point where they're almost an al dente texture. Uh -huh. And I say in the head note of the recipe, you know, my grandfather would never have used those. And no. you probably think I'm nuts for using them, but... I really think it creates this gorgeous dish that still that has the beautiful. I'm looking at it right dish. now. It's really yeah, pretty, and yeah. it adds those beautiful pops of pink and a little bit more texture. So, again, you know, I think radishes are very, very chic right now. All the um, all the farm forward restaurants serve them at the moment. So, I think it's just something that you know gave a little extra kick to that dish and put a signature twist on it. Well, I tried cooking radishes. I can't remember what I did, but the results were not memorable. I mean, it was not, oh, really? I don't know what I did with them. So. Well, I actually love them. Um, I think there's another recipe where you sort of quick roast them, and I leave their greens on and everything and just slice yeah, them down the center. 
Yeah. yeah, and and they're beautiful, and it takes I think something like less than ten minutes, and you can sprinkle them with some cheese or a little black pepper at the end, and just um, you know uh, the beautiful part of cooking radishes is it mellows their really spicy bite ever so slightly, uh-huh. so it doesn't go away completely, but it makes it a little bit less uh, cumbersome. So I think it's it's a lovely addition to the Italian. Oh, uh, you know, I think I use them more as an accent food myself. I mean, I, I love carrots, but. Uh, in, in many Italian recipes, you know, it starts with sort of a little sofrito of carrots and mm-hmm. onions and chopped celery or maybe some aromatics like garlic. So I, I always think of them as sort of a flavor builder, um, you know, rather than always the main the main show themselves. Right. Um, you, you have in here something that I giggled at is um, I love shrimp in, in the shells. You do, okay. And 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 I crunch. And Peter, Peter's English, and he's <laughs> he's much more um, I don't know, restrained. Than I, am. Yeah. <laughs> I I I chew. I chop right through the shells and eat them. I do the same. So I love this as an antipasti dish. So what happens is, you know, you ever go to a party and there's supposed to be finger food, yes. and you know, you you can't. It's really hard to eat with your fingers. Yes. <laughs> I find peeled shrimp, you know, unless they're already pre-peeled, those those shell-on shrimp at parties are so difficult to eat because people are trying to, you know, carefully remove the outer wrapping, and then you lose all that flavoring. And so it always made me sort of sad. So I encourage people, I have a shell-on shrimp recipe with a simple, almost like a salsa verde on top. Um, and I really encourage people to just eat the shell as you're taking a bite into the shrimp. It adds so much more uh, concentrated flavor it gives you a little bit of a crunch, but it's actually quite easy to crunch through and digest. And then you also don't lose any of that beautiful, delicious green sauce on the outside. So it's one of my favorite ways. To yeah, do I do it. But it kind of horrifies my husband. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have to you have to uh, work people into that one. Slowly. Yeah, I, I tried doing it with lobster, and I got sick on the shelves. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, different. Wow, you're brave. <laughs> now, you have some startling recipes in here. I mean, the one I'm, I'm trying desperately to picture, but I can't envision the taste of it, is your roasted cherries. Oh, so these are lovely. I mean, if you think about what happens to a fruit, you know, like an apple when you roast it, um, all those flavors really caramelize and... Um, you know, kind of similarly to what happens to dried cherries, you get that really beautiful caramelized flavor, um, that very, like, uh, deeper, richer sort of dried fruit flavor. So I actually just put whole cherries on a roasting pan um, and flavor them with a little bit of olive oil and even a little salt and pepper just to bring out that, that flavor. And and we roast them very simply, you know, with their pits and stems and all. And the, and the flesh just, like slightly breaks down ever so slightly, um, you know, so it gets this beautiful, tender consistency, almost like a Luxardo cherry or a maraschino cherry consistency. And then you still have the stem and the pit, so you can kind of eat them almost like olives. There's this beautiful... Wow. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I think I might really try fun. that one, Stacey. <laughs> yeah, you don't really even need to work very hard to get the pits out at that point. They're already sort of loosened from the skin, so it's a lovely experience. Oh, yeah, and I forgot I even, about the pits, yeah. Peter, yeah, I'll Peter put like a like little pits. bit of uh, like red wine vinegar on them, almost like a vinaigrette. It's a really, it's a, it's a lovely dish, and I think it makes an impact when people come in and you have something they've never seen before. I always like to, oh, yeah, to try I think and do that I have as a host. Try that. I have to try it, absolutely. Um, and you, you do some interesting things that, pairing things that I never thought of, like your shrimp and fennel frito misto. You know, yes. I would never have thought of that, actually. I should have. Yeah, well, it goes back to Because I use fennel our... with, uh, with other seafood. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to our shared love of crunchy shrimp, right? I thought, yeah, I you know, shrimp in, in that beautiful frito misto batter is so delicious, but also... I'd love something that brought a little bit of a contrasting but complementary flavor to them. And I thought, wow, you know, fennel is so beloved in Italian cuisine and, and in my household. Um, so I thinly slice some fennel and, and wrap it in that Frito Miso batter and serve it all with a little bit of a spicy dipping sauce. So it's crunchy, but it has that light anise note. It's, it's a really nice combination. 
Yeah, and and you do not neglect the, uh, the uh, what is that word? I didn't know that word for things that go with bread. Um, I didn't know what I that. I can't remember which which area. It was early on about uh, things. There's a word for things that go with bread, and I never. Oh yes, that. yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love. I mean. Basically, you know, you think of like going to an Italian restaurant and you always think of that kind of, um, you know, like either breadsticks or they serve a big, you know, loaf of bread at the table or um, something like that. And I think, you know, it's it's an accent food that almost feels superfluous and that, um, you know, like maybe you don't need it because you're eating a big bowl of pasta or something. But at the antipasti table, it really is the type of thing that sort of rounds everything out and helps act as like a a spoon of sorts. Um, you can really scoop up things with bread a lot and um, use the bread to dip into the beautiful sauce. And I think in general, um, you know, the antipasti course is probably one of the words, uh, one of the one of the areas of Italian cooking that bread is vital. And mm-hmm. I think the word that you're referring to is companatico. That's it. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, so it's a, it's a concept of just, you know, the things like salumi or cheeses or anchovies or, um, you know, preserved vegetables that you can serve with bread. Yeah. Well, anyhow, listeners, I mean, this is only just a, a whiff of this wonderful book. Um, and, and you could also find what you could make your own crackers and and uh, even the, the uh, music sheets the, <laughs> uh, the yeah the carta de musica the carta de musica from Sardinia and um uh, and the your grassini everything's beautiful and that's the other part of that that you'll get in this book is um that Stacy wants you to make sure that it it represents when you put it out um generosity and um Everything should spill off the plates, and you should be concerned with texture and color and, and how it's served, the plates you have on, sometimes an old skillet. It's beautiful. Um, Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah, I really wanted to get forth the idea that, you know, food doesn't have to be fussy when you're having folks over. Um, everything can be, you know, family style and just abundant and casual and still be really, really impressive uh, without being fussy or like little finger food. So Exactly. Nothing fussy. Again, it's Stacy Adimando and it's Piatti, which is plates and platters for sharing, inspired by Italy. And uh, much success with your book. It's, it's a great place to, to get ins- inspiration for entertaining. And lots of good wine. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Stacey. Sounds like if you're trying to get around Italian cooking, Stacey would be a good guide to get you there. And we're going to stay on the same general subject after the break, so don't go away, because we'll be right back. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Welcome back. And for the next segment, we're going to be focusing on Sicily. An island off the uh, toe of the Italian boot. Yeah, you've never been there, and you sure don't like it, huh? I love Sicily. You know that, yes. Um, and it, in the time, in Roman times, was really viewed as the breadbasket of the Roman armies because they produced so much food. Now it's the oil can of the Italian well, army. Yeah, well, now we, we have a company here called Bono Sicilian Products, um, and we're going to be talking to Salvatore Russo Tiesi, and he's going to talk to us particularly um, about the, the company and its background, and especially its extra virgin olive oil. He'll tell us all about why it's so special. Welcome to On the Menu, Salvatore Russo Tiesi. Uh, we're going to be talking about Bono, 
Sicilian products. Sicily has wonderful products across the board, although I'm a little biased about that, since that's my background. But you focus particularly on olives, olive oil, extra virgin olive oil. Tell us about this company. Um, are, is it the same family that owns it, that founded it, or uh, what's the history? Yes, uh, first of all, and Peter, thank you for having me on today. Yeah, uh, I'd be more than happy to share our story of the Bonolio factory as well as Bono USA. Uh, it is a great story that I think you guys will very much enjoy, so I'd be more than happy to get into it. So uh, Bono USA Incorporated, the office here in the United States, the company in the United States, is uh, owned and operated, is vertically integrated, is owned and operated by the manufacturer. So Bono USA is a U.S. office, a uh, full-service uh, U.S. office that is owned by Bonolio. Bonolio is the largest producer, packer, and trader of extra virgin olive oil in Sicily and one of the largest in Italy. Uh, Bonolio's third generation, uh, the grandkids are now running the show. It's four brothers, Michael, Damiano, Giuseppe, and Salvatore. I am not. No, no. I am the, I am their trusted partner in the United States here in the U.S. office, okay. and they are the owner of the office. So we're not related by blood. We go back very long time ago, very close family friends, but no, by blood we are not related. Okay, and when you're talking about Bonolio, you're talking of a combination of the Bono and the word for oil, Olio, see? Yes, see, uh, Bono is the last name of the family. Right. So it's Michael Bono, Michele Bono, Damiano Bono, Giuseppe Bono, Salvatore Bono. Their company is called Bonolio, and their brand is okay. Bono. Okay, good enough. I got that down. That so their grandfather uh, started the company. They were just simply uh, trading bulk extra virgin olive oil part-time throughout the year because, as you know, and, and Peter Sicily is known for their abundance of quality extra virgin olive oil that the world has known for a long time. So at the very beginning of the, at the inception of the company, um, what Bonolio did was uh, just trade bulk extra virgin olive oil. With the third generation that has taken over, uh, Bonolio has organized, them, has organized themselves to be a leader in the extra virgin olive oil industry, not just in Sicily, but also in Italy. We are the largest producers, packers, and traders in Sicily, uh, we uh, do an abundance of Sicilian certified extra virgin olive oil. All of our Sicilian oil boasts a very important and prestigious PDO or PGI certification. Oh, good. And today we are the leaders in Sicilian uh, certified extra virgin olive oil. The company has come a very long way from when they were trading part-time wholesale to now bottling as well. We, in our oil mill alone, we make over 2 million liters of Sicilian certified extra virgin olive oil each year. But even those 2 million liters are not enough to meet our demand from our clients. So not only do we have an oil mill where we have the largest oil mill in Sicily where we press, but we also purchase olive oil in Sicily as well. So we are the very much the leaders. We are number one in, we are the number one leaders in Sicily for the trading, uh, producing, packing, and trading of extra virgin olive oil. Um, yeah, you know, they're all the, the same. Uh, the I wanted to ask you what all the different olive oils around the world have certain distinctive characteristics, and um, uh, how would you d- describe the distinctive characteristics of the Bonolio olive oil? That's a great question, and the distinction of a Sicilian extra virgin olive oil uh, when you go to do a a taste test of of olive oil, as you know, the first thing is the scent. Uh, the first thing you do is you want the olive oil and you smell it and you see what aromas you get. The, what makes, uh, what stands out in Sicilian extra virgin olive oil is a very tomato, grassy, artichoke, uh, scent. That's what really? I compare it to because it's like a freshly cut, it's like a freshly cut lawn. Uh, it's like fresh gra- uh, grass clippings, uh, tomato, artichoke is the scent you get as well. It's very smooth when you taste it. It's very smooth and it's very sweet going down. It's not too bitter. But on the way down, it does have the peppery that you look for in a good quality extra virgin olive oil. So if I had to characterize, um, you know, in one sentence what to look for, what the Sicilian extra virgin olive oil has uh, different than the rest of the world would be that grassy tomato artichoke scent, and then it has a very smooth, buttery, and sweet, uh, but yet peppery, a little spicy finish. But it's not as peppery as, say, Tuscan. Not quite. And... Um 
in addition to the oil, uh, you also uh, sell in the U.S. Um, the Castle Vetrano olives, right? That's correct. We try to and we try to take a, we try to take advantage and give back to Sicilian land as a whole. So we like to focus on what Sicily is known for when it comes to food. We like to focus on citrus fruits, and we make an organic marmalade. We like to focus on our beautiful olives, where we make not only olive oil with those olives, but we also sell table olives. So we use our expertise, and we use what is best known in the Sicilian land, and that's the citrus fruits and the olives, and we come up with a beautiful product, or beautiful products, plural, for the American market. Yeah, do you do, you probably do a blood orange marmalade? That's correct, Dan. That's actually our best seller. You, you hit the nail on the head. We do a blood orange organic. We do a lemon organic, and we do an orange organic. So we have three great. main flavors that we sell in the United States. What's beautiful about our marmalade, Anne and Peter, is that our marmalade is organic. It's USDA organic, so we use organic cane sugar. It's more fruit and less sugar added. Most of the sugar in it is from the natural sugar of the fruit, and it's made from fresh fruit, never frozen. Oh, see, that's great. Yeah, I wish we had some of that. That would be good. <laughs> I love blood orange anything. Yeah. So um, now, I mean, the, the history of, of Sicily is so interesting. Um, of course, they always called it Rome's bread basket. Um, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, it's like you you get a little everything through Sicily, including the uh, um, the Byzantines, the Normans, the Spanish. Um, the Spanish, I understand, are the largest producers of olives. Are they also the largest producers of olive oil? Yes, and uh, Spain has made leaps and bounds in their quantity and, and the amount of uh, land dedicated to olive trees as a, as a whole. Spain is responsible for, I would say, uh, you know, a little over half of the world's olive oil uh, consumption and production. Uh, they are by far the leaders in quantity. That's correct, Dan. Yeah. Now, Tell us, Salvatore, how did you get involved with this operation? So I, I myself was born and raised in Sicily, uh, very close to, to the Bono, to the Bonolio headquarters. So uh, although we're not, again, although we're not a uh, direct family, our, our family histories go back uh, a very long time. So I got involved from meeting them while I lived in Sicily. When, then when we emigrated, when my, my, my immediate family and I emigrated to the United States, we had the opportunity to be, begin working with the Bono family in the United States. So my father, while I was still a young boy going to school, my father started a company here where he was purchasing Italian food products, but first and foremost, Bono oil, and he was selling it locally in the tri-state area, which is where we live and where we're based out of. Mm-hmm. As I grew up and as I finished my schooling, as I got my degree, uh, I was very much in love with the family business and everything that the, the Bono family brings. So... We decided to open up in Bono, USA, a United States office, so that we could bring these wonderful products nationwide to the United States clientele. Yeah, the other thing I love about Sicily are the capers. Yes, they're very much known for those as well. You're correct, and they're excellent products. We don't work with any of those, but those are definitely great products. Yeah, it must be difficult for you to figure out what to use. There's so many products, and there's so many very small producers. Is that where you, what, where you source your olives from the smaller producers? That's exactly right, Ann. So at the beginning of the year when it's, when it's harvest time, which in Sicily starts earlier than the rest of the world, really, for Sicily we start, well, we start anywhere around end of September, early October, and we go all the way through to the end of November. Wow. So October, November is the sweet spot of our production, mm-hmm. of, our, of our harvest time. And at that time, you know, we receive, uh, again, we make over 2 million liters. We make about 2 million liters of Sicilian extra virgin olive oil. And when I say make, is that's when we buy the olives and press the olives. So we make a great deal of olive oil in that one month, month and a half of harvest time. But again, that's not enough to meet our demands from our clients worldwide. So what we do is we logistically hit all the different very, very small, uh, all the very, very small uh, farmers and, and producers themselves who have also made olive oil and, and are storing it preciously like we do. And we go around to all the small, all the small uh, again, farmers and, and, and all the small mills, and we purchase olive oil. And there's over a 1,000 of those small mills that exist throughout Sicily. Now, do you do you purchase the oil, or do, 
Or do you purchase the olives and then press them yourself? So the pressing all happens again, end of September to November. Anytime after that November, every miller has already made the olive oil. What we then do is uh, we store it uh, preciously. So we store it underground to keep it away from the very hot Sicilian sun and the heat and the air because, as you know, air, heat, and sun and light are, are not good for extra virgin olive oil. They're, as I like to call it, they're the devil of olive oil. So we like to keep our, uh, our olive oil very preciously stored. So, again, after November hits, what you're going around buying and what you're finding is olive oil. You're not finding olives anymore because the work has been done. So in those examples, Peter, we're buying olive oil, not olives. So how often do you go to Sicily? I'm lucky enough to go there between two and five times a year, depending oh, on the year. I'm so uh, envious. <laughs> <laughs> Most of that is for work, but, um, again, being born and raised there, I do have family there as well. So I try to go back as often as I can while being mindful of the work that exists here. Right. Now, you, your sweet spot is the, is the Val de Mazzara. Is that correct? That's correct, Peter. So... Valle Mazzara, the Valle Mazzara is the province of Palermo and the west part of Agrigento. So it's like a province and a half, uh, if you could picture it on a map. That area is called the Valle Mazzara area. Okay. We happen to have our factory in that area as well. And the secret, the secret to it is that 85% of olive cultivation in Sicily takes place in Valle Mazzara. So that's really the heart and the home of Sicilian olive cultivation and harvesting. Uh, for all of Sicily. Well, I'm glad you, you get to go back a lot because uh, what part of New Jersey are you from? I live in Fairfield, New Jersey. Fairfield. We used to know people. At least it's not Elizabeth. <laughs> We're not very far. Yeah, not very far. <laughs> enough for the smell to have evaporated, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, when, we, yeah. When we lived in Philadelphia, I would always wake up on our drive when we got to even close to Elizabeth. I mean, the smell is so terrible. <laughs> but anyhow, you're making me homesick to go to Sicily, so maybe that should be our next trip in the fall. Yes, well, yes. Anyhow. And if you guys have intentions to be in Sicily, please let us know. We would love to have you at our factory. We're in Shaka, which is the southwestern point of uh, Sicily. Okay, because I like, I like western Sicily. So, yeah, I like troponing. I mean, this a fellow... Food writer um, bought a, a, an ancient farm in Tropidae, and, and I'm trying to get her to have a party. <laughs> well, look, we just bought some land in Tropidae as well. We're building uh, about 500 acres. We have about 500 acres where we're planting olive trees. What's beautiful about uh, the steps that the Bono family, now that the four brothers are, are are in charge, although it's been a while, they've been in charge since the very early 90s, but. The four brothers have really made leaps and bounds of advancement. Mm-hmm. So not only are we the largest producer, packer, and trader, but we're giving back to Sicily as well. Uh, we're turning our olive production, our olive oil production, from three-phase to two-phase. What that basically means is that we're saving a lot of water, which is important in Sicily because there's not a lot of water to start, oh, right. with, yeah. start with. So we're changing from a three-phase to a two-phase process to not use water to separate the oil when it's being made. Um, we're also planting, we're trying to plant as many trees as possible. We're trying to buy as many acres as possible. We hope to get into the thousands and thousands of acres because we want to give back to Sicily because there's a need for more trees. There's more demand for Sicilian extra virgin olive oil. So we are really hitting the Sicilian land from every, from every aspect, every perimeter and try to do everything that we can in our power to continue this beautiful tradition of Sicilian extra virgin olive oil. Now before, before we, before we close, Salvatore, Answer a question for me, which I I know lots and lots of people don't 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 know the answer, and, and we haven't practiced this before, so I, I don't know what the answer is for you. But it sort of seems like in order to get the olives from the tree, you would have to shake the tree, and then the olives would fall off. Now, is that is that how you really pick the olives, or does it you do it a, do it a different way? Well, look, uh, that's a great question. I will answer that immediately. But and and I just want to correlate this. And the reason why Spain is so far advanced than the rest of the world in, in, in their olive oil production, olive production is a couple of reasons. One is, yes, the land and money they have dedicated to put up more trees. But the reason why they're very successful as well is because it's all automated. I'm so when say, yeah. in Spain they go to pick the olives, they use a massive, massive truck that actually goes over the trees, and the trees go through the middle of it. 
in the middle of it, I always compare it to like a car wash. You know when you're taking your car to oh, a car yeah, wash yeah. and those two things are spinning? Yeah. Well, that's what it is under the truck, and that's what they're using to pick olives. Okay. So they're using machinery, and it's very yeah. industrialized. Oh, yeah, well, it was like we're crazy. But that's, that, that's the crushing process. Yeah, I mean, they, they didn't actually use machinery to pick or crush. They just, they the, the, all this fell. I don't know if you've heard of this, but they, they, they used to put, they would put the olives in a pit and then put stones on top and then just allow, allow them to the see. The yeah, they do things the very, uh, what's the word? They do things very differently and they're very much advanced and industrialized, as I said. In Sicily, Peter, to answer your question, uh, in Sicily, yes, I mean, we're essentially still hand picking, uh, what, <laughs> There's two ways to do it. There's a, you know, a tractor that has an arm, for lack of another word, a bionic arm that attaches to it, and it grabs onto the bark uh, of the tree, the bottom, the stump, let's call it, the very the bottom, and it shakes the tree. Right. So uh, it could be done in that way. But even more common than that, Peter, is uh, electronic rakes. So if you think of, like, rakes, think of, like, uh, think if you have two rakes up almost together. Right. So it's two electronic rakes, and you, you hook them up to a battery, and you turn it on, and that rake is constantly moving, and it's picking the trees. It's almost like pruning, like when they do pruning here. So to answer your question, it's very much still done by hand. Yeah, anyhow, make sure that and that you will remember us when we tell you we're going to come to your plant <laughs> in Sicily. <laughs> okay. Please do not hesitate to reach out if you guys are going to Sicily. We would oh, love yeah. to have you for a day. Oh, to show we, you around. It's really a beautiful place. Yeah, we now we we go. Um, I've been probably what five times, I guess. But anyhow, love it very much. So Salvatore Russo Tiesi, thank you, and the Bono and the Bono Bonolio um, business in the U.S. And uh, I, it's it's a beautiful olive oil, and I mean it's not it's history. In a bottle or in a can, right? Yes, I mean, uh, and first of all, thank you for your time today. I just want to add a few more things. And, again, I want to thank you and Peter for, for today. And I thoroughly enjoyed being being on with you guys. But our product has won over 50 awards just in the last 10 years or so. We are the official oil of the James Beard Foundation. We're the exclusive house purveyor. I knew uh, that was something. Were... I wanted to bring that up, and I forgot. Thank you for bringing that up. No problem. Our, 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 our product is, is respected and enjoyed throughout the world. And, again, we're the exclusive house purveyor of James Beard. We've won over 50 awards. And, uh, most importantly, we're available across the United States. We're available in Whole Foods, Sprouts, Wegmans, Stop and Shop, Acme, King, Del Duchies, Central Market, HEB, Lucky's, Meyer, just to name a few. So, uh, you know, let's just look out for it. Uh, throughout the country, it's available uh, almost everywhere, and I would love for 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 everybody to to really try this product and enjoy where it comes from and the beautiful story and awards behind it. Well, thank you so much for telling us the story. Podcasting services for On the Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station. www.aspstation.net. And for our last segment, we're going to be moving a little bit the northeast of Sicily to Napoli, <laughs> talking to Edward Freda. And a, and a story, quite honestly, a story about a product you probably won't even believe. No. <laughs> Why don't you let Edward and explain it? Explain it. Uh, I will so pleasantly, rapturously enthralled to get the samples of this special pizza that we're going to be talking about, Talia de Napoli. Uh, and uh, I, I, did, I was not a believer. I'm talking to Eduard Freida right now, and I admitted to him that I did not believe the public relations on this product. Um, I, I didn't think it was possible, and in fact, it's fabulous. The product, Edward, is Talia de Napoli, which, as I understand it, is the Sleeping Beauty, right? That, that's correct. Yeah. So the, the story 
of the city of Uri was written in Italy in the 16th century, in Naples. And the name of the original princess was Talia. And so because, like you said, we call our pizzas the sleeping pizzas, we thought it would be a good idea to, you know, take that name from the fable and give it to our company. And that's what we're called, Talia. See, I never knew that about the story coming out of Naples to start with. But yeah. So tell us why you call it a sleeping beauty. So we wanted to create a product that in Naples we wanted to recreate the original pizza and find a way for this pizza to travel around the world, especially to the U.S., without using any of its original flavors and aromas. And so we created our own two-steps patented process. The first step is that we hand-make every single pizza by hand in Naples. We don't use machinery. We have 20 pizza chefs that make close to 4,000 pizzas every day. We fill in the dough for 24 hours. We only use ingredients from local farms. We have no preservatives, no additives, no GMOs. They're completely natural. Once they're prepared, we fully bake them in ancient Neapolitan ovens that are only wood-fired. And then once they come out of the oven, it's like they would be ready to serve. And then here we go into step two of our process, that we put them into a cryogenic flash freezing machine, meaning we freeze them with gas rather than with regular water freezing like most of our competitors. Uh-huh. And that's when our pizzas are put to sleep. So they go from plus 800 degrees to minus 200 in a matter of seconds. So we're able to kind of capture the original state that they had when they came out of the oven. And on the other side of this cryogenic process comes out the sleeping pizza. And, and, and you, won't, you, you won't believe it, but you will, you obviously always believe Ann and Peter and on the menu radio. So when we tell you that five pizzas arrived in a box, all the, all the way from Italy, all the way from all the way from Naples, and they were so unbelievably fresh. I mean, they tasted like they were right out of the oven when they came out of our oven, and we had we tried. The, one was better than the next. The uh, we had Bianca, Margarita, Primavera. Um, the uh, what is the word for uh, broccoli, Rob? And uh, I never knew that word actually. I speak Italian. I know. Um, and um, uh, gluten free. Now and you put the margarita gluten free. Yeah. And you put you put five pizzas in the oven in front of when when they come out. There are six people, and six people consume five pizzas. <laughs> Now, now t- t- two, two, two of them were 12 and 10 years old, <laughs> and, 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 and their stomachs grandchildren. and their stomachs have no bottom. <laughs> but, but, but no, these are wonderful, and uh, uh, there is you could order these online, uh, and your website is Talia Dinapoli dot com. Right. Yeah. It's T-A-L-I-A-D-I-N-A-P-O-L-I uh, dot com. Now, there is, I mean, I, I couldn't believe the next thing I'm going to say. I couldn't believe the price of the pizzas. I mean, the individual pizzas. Um, there is one catch is you have to order five of them. Uh, there's a minimum order. But... You just put them in your freezer, and then when you want them, you take them out, and they're as fresh as if they were freshly baked. Right? Yeah, and, you know, we we spent a lot of time developing a very sophisticated import and logistical operation because, obviously, the challenge is obviously making them, but then transport, transporting them all the way from Naples straight to your door at an affordable price. And so we spent almost a year developing, you know, the packaging with the dry ice and, you know, working very closely with FedEx to make it so that actually we have free shipping, uh, free two-day shipping, and we're going to be all over the country by October, and shipping is always going to be free because our mission is for you to have this product at your home at an affordable price. We don't want you to feel like you're paying an effort to Italy. We want you to feel that Italy is coming to your kitchen fairly easily. Well, you know, it's cheaper than if I buy local, a high-quality pizza 
uh, right two blocks from my house. I don't understand yeah, how you could do it for the price. I really don't. Well, uh, the, the way we do it is because we import very high volumes. And so we fill containers with pizzas and we ship them to New York and to the West Coast. And, you know, it, take, it takes months, so we do it by ship instead of by air. And so, you know, we, have, we, only have, we always have good stock in the U.S. And so by keeping a very, you know, uh, replenished and, and sophisticated logistics system, we're able to keep the cost down. I see. So, so, it's, actually, so, so it's actually coming on a boat. Yes, in a frozen container that we loaded in our, uh, we don't call it factory, it's called a pizza house, a pizza fisher. So we call it, we, we load the pizzas in our pizza house in Naples, and then in around five to six weeks, it sails from Naples straight to New York City, and then from New York City, we dispatch it all over the U.S. Federal Express actually does that distribution in the U.S., Yes, exactly. They do. They do the absolutely. They do from New York. They take over uh, when we receive your order on the website. Then you know we pack it individually, and then FedEx, who has been a great partner, uh, sends it straight to your home. Let me tell you something that you probably probably don't don't even know, and it would have been nice for you to know when you were talking to Fred Smith. Fred Smith yeah. founded founded Federal Express. But the amazing thing was that he wrote the business plan for Federal Express when he was at the Harvard Business School. And, the, wow. and, the, and the, the person who marked his paper all about this new concept called Federal Express gave him a C. <laughs> oh. he, he didn't do well. <laughs> he, 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 failed, he failed the class based on, a, based on a system which has now become... The, Primary transportation. Well, well, no, I mean, you don't say you ship it, you say you FedEx it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's become a staple. Well, let me tell you, I, I'm pretty sure if back in school in Italy, I wrote a paper about shipping frozen pizza from Italy to the U.S., I, I would also have gotten a C or worse. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's very consumer user-friendly, the whole process. It's like, you know... Everything is done for the convenience of the consumer, and I really admire that. Um, this process, is it this CREO, the, the sealed air thing, um, the cold freezing? Cryogenic, yeah. Yeah, that's, yes, cryogenic that's kind of what, what people have been using for bodies, human bodies, isn't it? <laughs> that, that, that's correct. It's, it's obviously the one with your body slightly warmer than what we use. <laughs> but in the food world, um, in the food world, the fishing industry has been using this process uh, for for quite a few years because it really allows to keep the fish fresh. Um, French macaroons, uh, you know, some companies oh, yeah. out of France also make them in France and use the same process. So it's very, it's sophisticated. It's definitely more expensive, quite by a lot actually, than regular freezing. But you know, the result is that it preserves the product so much better than regular food. Now, now the, other, the other thing that amazed me was how easy it was to cook them. I mean, you, when, I think, when I think of pizza, I think of, of a very, very hot oven. And in, in the case of your pizzas, that, that's not true at all. You, you just put them at a reasonably regular temperature in your regular oven and it just comes out just fine. And, and, you know, that's because we fully bake them ourselves in Italy at those very high temperatures in our oven in the, in the pizza house. And so we wanted to save you, the, you know, like you said, that complicated step with very high temperatures. And we're actually going one, one step further. Is, you know, sometimes it's easy to get distracted, to forget the oven, to, you know, maybe leave it a few minutes too long. And so what we're, de we're developing now is that we're developing our own small toaster ovens that are just the shape and almost the size of the pizza, kind of like a sandwich spread, where you just put our pizzas in, and in just a few minutes, it'll do the pizza for you perfectly, and it'll sound an alarm when the pizza is ready. So you don't have to turn on your big home oven, and, you know, and look at the instructions, and so we're, we really want to make it even easier than it already is, and develop kind of the ultimate accessory for the pizza. Now, Edward, you are the CEO? Yes, I'm the CEO, and I, and I founded the the company in the U.S. It, yeah, and the yeah, and the pizza was invented 
stereotypically by my uncle in Italy who runs the production. Really? You're, what part of Italy are you originally from? I'm originally from Naples, yeah, uh, in from southern Naples. Italy, uh, not Florida, yeah, Napoli, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and that's you know that's where pizza was invented right. uh, in the 19th or 18th century. Margarita, the queen. Exactly, the queen Margarita. Yes, um, yeah. So um, you went to school there. So I I grew up in in, in Italy until I was 14, and then I moved to the U.S. Uh, at the age of 14, and I, I went to college here. I, I had a wonderful education in the U.S. I worked here for a few years. Uh, then I went back to Europe, and when I went back to Europe, I discovered, you know, this product that my uncle was working on, and my immediate decision was to try and move back to the U.S. to, to import this product. I see. So here you are. Here you are. and what Here I am, very happily so. Yeah. Well, where do you go from here now? You're going to do these special... Uh, ovens and whatnot, but what 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 else can you do to expand your business? So uh, obviously, you know, we want to get into as many homes as possible. So I think the first step is really once we're national on October first, is you know to grab as much attention and traction from the U.S. consumers, and then you know uh, we we don't have to stop at pizza. You know, with this process, we can we can import desserts. Uh, you know, I know so many families. Uh, and small businesses that make wonderful desserts in, in Naples and Italy, we can you know, start to work on more meals. But the, the priority for us is that we bring very, you know, artisanally made local products, and we use our technology to import them. And so I think, you know, only the future will tell, but I hope we, we will go very far with it. Yeah, well, um, I think that Naples is a wonderful city uh, for everything but driving. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had a, a bad situation where somehow we got lost and we ended up at a police station. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I drove I drove into Naples in my rental car, and, and and everywhere I wanted to turn left, I couldn't. Everywhere I wanted to turn, yeah. next corner I would say I wanted to turn left. No, I could only turn right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, it, it sounds like you were in the historic district. It sounds right. <laughs> I, I we got we got to a hotel that I think then was called the Metropole or something like that. And I, I I pulled up in front of the hotel, gave the keys to the bellman, and said, "You you download it. You you, un, you unload it and take this car away." <laughs> But otherwise, we love Naples. Yeah, otherwise, we loved it. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, so um, yeah, you you did good, Edward. I mean, it, it's a fabulous product. I've been um, pushing it to all kinds of people. So hopefully, your business will expand. Thank you. I, I truly appreciate your support. It, it really means a lot. And uh, you know, I, I look forward to to hearing more stories of of your enjoying pizzas and. As soon as we launch something new, I'll be sure to send it to you. Oh, that's wonderful. That's good. And count on us as customers here. Yeah, we love it. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, I'm so glad we got to talk to you. Thank you, really. And uh, no, th- thank you for the call. And you know, anything more I can do to you? Uh, uh, for you, if, you, if you're ever coming back to Naples, I would love to take you to our pizza house and show you how we make things. Oh, that I will put that on our list. That's for sure. Yes. Absolutely. You can count on us. Absolutely. We, we love yeah. to take people around. We can take you to the farms where, you know, our products are grown. It would be wonderful. Well, that's a, a good reason to return to Naples. Well, thank you again, <laughs> Edward. Um, ciao, ciao. Thank you so very much. A, tr- a truly amazing product. Quite a story, huh? Oh, I loved it. <laughs> loved it indeed. So, uh, anyhow, uh, this is our last segment. Yeah. We yes, finished so, our so, last yeah. segment. Yeah, so we'll be back. Same time, same place next week. We hope you'll join us then for yet another exciting adventure in the world of food, wine, and travel with Anne and Peter Hager on the Menu Radio. In Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>